Um, I came across a story this past week from Dr. Tony Evans. Uh, he tells a story about being in New York City on a kind of a getaway trip with his wife. He and Mrs. Evans were there, and they spent some time in New York City. They liked getting away to New York. And it was time for them to go back, and they caught a cab to LaGuardia Airport. And when they got out to do the, you know, the curbside check-in, they went to go check-in, uh, but there was a long line there. And so they got in line, as would be the case, and they stood there, and they waited, and they waited, and the line wasn't moving at all, so he broke ranks to kind of look and see what was going on and kind of ask people what was going on, and they said there was no power in the airport, that the power had been knocked out. And they waited for about two hours in line without moving before it was announced that LaGuardia was closing down, and they were caught in what we now call the power outage of 2003, uh, it was something, remember that, something went, happened in Canada. We love Canada, God bless Canada. But there, there was a, a power grid that went down in Canada, and the whole East Coast went down, and it was blacked out, and so the LaGuardia was closed. And so he called a, an assistant to try to find him a hotel room for he and his wife. They found one room at the uh, Crown Plaza LaGuardia Hotel, and they said they would hold it for 10 minutes. That was it. So he ran, got a cab, jumped in the cab. They got to the, the Crown Plaza, LaGuardia. They walked in, and there was no lights in there. There were just candles. The whole atrium was lit up by candles. They signed in and got their room by writing a pen because there was no computer system. They had to do that. They were handed a flashlight uh, to make their way up the stairs uh, because the elevators weren't working, up to their room. They get to the room. They were just going to retire for the night because everything was covered in darkness. That's all there was, New York City, and that's when it happened. Mrs. Evan went over to open the windows because there was, kind of, there was no AC, obviously, and she went, pulled the curtains back to open the window, and she looked across the street, and there it was. The Marriott Hotel was lit up. Lights, music. There was a lot more joy on that side of the street than there was on this side of the street. So Dr. Evans and his wife decided they're going to go over there. So they took their little flashlight, and they went out, and they crossed the street. They walked into the Marriott Hotel in the atrium, and all the lights were on, and there was music, and there was great big flat-screen TVs of, on CNN saying that New York City is under the cover of darkness. And it's all lit up. And they had hot food there because they didn't have that in their other hotel. There was hot food in there, and so they got in line for the hot food. And the manager walked by, and Dr. Evans stopped him. He said, how is it possible? There can be this much light in the middle of so much darkness. And he said, well, people have been asking me that all day, and it's an easy answer. You see, when we built this place, we put in gas generators. So we have something on the inside of us that does not make us dependent on what is happening outside of us. Because what we have on the inside, what happens out there, does not determine what happens in here because we have another source of power. And because we have another source of power, we are able to transcend the darkness in which we find ourselves. Now that, my friends, is a beautiful picture of the word of the Lord to us at New Life this year, which comes right out of Isaiah 60. We, we're going to read it again. We read it last week when he said this, Arise, shine. For your light has come. You, you've got another source of power on the inside. The glory of the Lord rises upon you. Look, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the peoples. But the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light. Just like Dr. Evans and Mrs. Evans crossing, they were drawn to the light. Just like they were drawn to the light, nations will be drawn to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. 
Now, to understand, we said last week, just to kind of review a little bit, that, that to understand what God is speaking to us, we need to understand what it, first of all, meant to them. And when Isaiah was writing this prophecy, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the nation of Israel is in exile, or just coming back from exile. Either way, Isaiah is prophesying about a hopeful future. They've just experienced the worst thing you could possibly imagine could happen to any nation. They've been in exile. Just imagine that. Your home has been destroyed. Your family's been fractured. Uh, you've been relocated in exile. There's utter devastation. It wasn't that they had a bad year. They had had 70 bad years. And into that, into that utter devastation comes this hopeful word. Into a hopeless situation comes a hopeful word. And it was this, arise. Stand up. Shine. For your light has come. And we said last week that God was speaking through the prophet Isaiah and telling Israel, the people of God, I want you to live now in the larger story of God. Right? And last week we unpacked that. There's a smaller story, and for them it was captivity, it was exile, and that was all they could see. That's the smaller story. But there was a bigger story that included God. How many of you know if, if your story does not include God, you're not looking at the big story, you're looking at the little story. And the big story includes God's purpose and why he chose you and your origin and the fact that God is a God of love and he's a good God and he, and he made you to love you. You're made to be in relationship with him. That's your origin. That's your identity. That's who you are. And your destiny is you're going to a new heavens and a new earth where there will be righteousness and justice and no more tears. That's where we're going. So don't get bogged down by the little story so much that you lose sight of the big story because the big story is where you find hope. It's in the big story that you find your meaning. It's in the big story that you find your identity. And here's what happens. It's very easy to be deceived when you're focusing on the small story. It's like, have you ever seen an, an illusionist, you know, the other thing, or maybe seen it on TV, and the illusionist wants you to look right here, and they're doing something right here, and it's like, look here, look here, look here, and they want you to look right there, because while you're looking right there, they're doing something over here. Listen, Satan is the master illusionist. What he's doing, he's saying, look here, look here, look here, and he wants you to look at the small story, so you forget the big story, so he can deceive you. Because if you do that, then all you will see is what's right in front of you. Use this analogy. For example, you know, pre-pandemic world, we had these things called parades, right? Like the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade or the, uh, what's the parade we have here around Derby? Um, Pegasus Parade, thank you. Uh, you know, and, and you're at a parade, there's a bunch of people there. Again, pre-pandemic, there's all these people there. And, and when you're looking at a parade and you're on the ground, all you see is right in front of you. That's all you can see. Now, the parade's been going, and you can remember what passed, what your past was, those things that went by, but you don't remember everything, and you don't remember perfectly. By the way, just that's kind of a good reminder to us. We don't remember everything exactly how it happened. There's always more to the story than our memory, because most of the time, we either demonize the past or romanticize the past. We either remember it worse than it was or better than it was, but we don't remember the whole thing, but we remember what's gone by. And if you're standing in a parade, you can remember what's happened, and you can see what's in front of you, and you can kind of look up ahead and maybe see a block down the road or whatever, what might be coming, but when the parade goes around the court, you don't know what's coming. That's your perspective. That's the smaller story, what's in front of you. But if you were up in an airplane flying over the city, you could see the whole, that's God's perspective. He sees the beginning from the end. He sees all of time all together. He sees the whole parade. He sees what you've already seen. He sees what you're seeing right now. And he sees what's coming down the road. That's his perspective. 
And so what we're being invited to do through the Holy Spirit by the prophet Isaiah is to live in the bigger story now to say, what I see right now is not the whole story. There's more. And so last week we began to unpack that a little bit and we said, number one, that uh, that whole big story is this. Number one, darkness covers the earth. Comes right out of the text. Isaiah, the Bible as a whole, is a very realistic view of the world. It doesn't sugarcoat it. It, it. it isn't some Pollyanna view of the world. It says, point blank, darkness covers the earth. If you were confused about that, Isaiah makes it very clear. And if we needed more evidence for that, the events of this last week reminded us darkness covers the earth. So what? So don't be shocked. Don't be surprised. And don't give up. This morning in prayer with the pastors and the elders, uh, Kevin Wu was praying and there was like a, this sense of praying against a spirit of darkness and a spirit of depression and even suicide. And dad had the same thing in, in, during praise and worship. I don't think that's on accident. That's not in the notes. That's not, this wasn't planned. The spirit of God is speaking to somebody here right now who sees this world covered in darkness and you feel like giving up. Just, just this past week, I met with a group of pastors. And one of the pastors who was there, we were speaking, we were talking about things. And this is a guy who's given his life for unity in the body of Christ in the city of Louisville, okay? Like for decades now, this guy has been working for unity across racial lines, political lines, denominational lines, uh, parts of the city, the West End, the East End. This guy's been pouring himself out for that. And we sat down in this meeting, and he said, I don't think we can do it. I'm done. He said, it's too much. The division's too much, the the racial differences are too much, the political differences are too much. I'm just going to pastor my people now. And before you judge him, we we should just say, "I, I, I see what he's saying. I hear what he's coming from. Because darkness covers the earth. And sometimes when you see only the darkness, you feel like quitting. You feel like giving up, but don't give up. Why? Because number two, the light has come. The light has come. Isaiah is speaking prophetically about Jesus. He said this, that rise, shine, for your light has come. And then when Jesus came, John applied that to him. In fact, in John chapter 12, verse 41, he says, Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. John is saying, Isaiah was talking about Jesus. And Jesus said, I am the light. In fact, in verse 46, he says, I have come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. No one has to stay in darkness. Yes, the world is covered in darkness, but you don't have to stay there because Jesus is the light. And so what do we do? We said last week, here it is. It's right out of the text. Arise and shine for your light is come. We used that analogy last week of Rocky II, you know, with... with, uh, um, I almost said Clever Lang. That was Rocky Three. This is Rocky Two. Not to be confused with Rocky Three. Well, Apollo Creed and Rocky Balboa are fighting, and they both go down. And the only difference between being the heavyweight champion of the world and being the former heavyweight champion of the world is getting up one more time. Just get up one more time. Just one more time. And that was last week. We said that 2020 may have knocked the wind out of us as it did the uh, exile did to Israel. But get up. Rise. That was last week. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, why couldn't you preach it that fast last week? 
You know? But that was a summary of last week. I want to pick up with that this week, and this is not so much a sequel as it is a conclusion to last week's message, and I want to conclude all of that, which comes right out of Isaiah 60, with this question. Rise to what? Like, like what does that mean? I mean, it sounds good. It sounds great, actually. I'm going to rise up. Yeah, I like it. Let's rise up. What does that look like? Like, like what does that mean? What, what did it mean to Israel? When they first heard that, rise and shine for your light has come, what did they hear? What did they think that meant? And then, you know, more practically to us, what does it mean to the church in America today? Specifically, what does it mean to New Life Church in the 21st century and to you personally? What practical difference does it make? Well, to no one's surprise, I have some ideas (laughs) that come right out of the text, okay? And it might shock you, though, however, that I don't have three. I have only two points today. It's discount Sunday, all right? We have... Two points and two practical applications, okay? So two plus two equals three. Let's begin. Um, Number one, here's what it means to rise up. We rise to fulfill our calling. We rise to fulfill our calling. When Isaiah said to the people of God, rise and shine, he was speaking to them about their calling to be light in a dark world. And that theme runs throughout the entire Old Testament. In fact, you go all the way back when Abram was being called by God, Genesis 12, verse 2, God said, I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. And, and listen to this last sentence, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So from the very beginning, God called Abram and the nation of Israel with a global mission in mind. It was never, I'm going to bless you so you can be comfortable. It was never, I'm going to bless you so you can relax. No, I'm going to bless you so that through you, all the peoples of the earth will be blessed. When Isaiah came and he gave his prophecy in chapter 49, verse 6, he made it even clearer. He said, I will make you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. That was the mission. They were called to be light in the dark place. The calling for the people of God in the beginning and our calling now is to be light in the darkness and to bring his salvation to the ends of the earth. And Jesus affirmed that in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. He said, you are the light of the world. Now, now this is, you know, Isaiah had talking about Jesus. John said, Jesus was the light of the world. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And then he said, you are the light of the world. Let your light shine before men and women that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. See, to be a disciple of Jesus is to have a mission. To live in the larger story of God is to realize that in God's story, you aren't just an ornament on the Christmas tree of life. You don't exist to just take up space and then you die. No, you're here for a reason. You have a mission. Whether you're young or you're old, you're not here on accident. You're not an afterthought for God. You were put on this earth for a reason, to be in a relationship with God and join him on his mission because God is on a mission. And sometimes when I talk to people who are hopeless or I talk to people who who, who maybe have a lack of meaning in their life, it's because often it's because they've disconnected their smaller story from the larger story of God, which provides purpose and significance and an answer to the question, why am I here? Some, some years ago, I was invited to participate in an online discussion, 
And the question for discussion that was thrown out was this. If you could ask God anything, what would it be? Now, when, when I heard that, I thought I knew what it was going to be. I thought it was going to be people were going to mostly ask about the problem of evil in, in some practical way, like, why did my grandmother die? Or why, you know, why do you allow cancer to exist? Or why, like, it's something related to the problem of evil. I thought for sure that's what it would be. Do you know what the number one, and it wasn't even close. There was no close second. The number one question asked most by most people on that online forum, do you know what it was? Why am I here? Why am I here? Our world is getting darker largely because there is a loss of purpose, a loss of meaning, a loss of significance and destiny because we've lost the larger story. We forgot. It's almost like humanity has this horrible case of amnesia. We've forgotten who we are and why we're even here. And here's what's even worse. Here's what's worse. Sometimes the church has forgotten why we're here. We're not, we're not here to just, to just be comfortable. We're not here to make a lot of money and pursue the American dream. Although I hope you make a lot of money. And tithe. <laughs> I, I'm for that. I do. I pray for our people in our church that God blesses you. I pray that God blesses you. I do. I want you to be blessed. But that's not why we're here. This service today, we're not here in this service today so that we can check off an item on the religious to-do list. You know, worship God, tithe, listen to a sermon, uh, you know, responded to the altar call, check, 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 went out to lunch, you know, check, you know, you know, whatever. That's not why we're here. We're here to worship God and to be equipped to get spiritual food so we can fulfill our destiny to be light in a dark world and bring God's salvation to the ends of the earth. That's why we're here. And on a personal level, it may be that maybe you, right now you're, you're just, you've forgotten who you are. It's, that, it's not that you don't know the Lord. It's not that you don't love him. But you forgot who you are and why you're here. If that's you, my prayer is that just in the next few moments, the Holy Spirit of God gives you exactly what you need to remember who you are, that you are loved by him. You are chosen. God picked you for this. And you'll remember why you're here. So number one, we rise to fulfill our calling. Number two, we remember there's only two points, so please pay attention. Number two, we rise to meet the challenge. See, when God told Israel through the prophet Isaiah to rise, it wasn't in an easy, comfortable situation. It wasn't all roses and sunshine. They were in exile or coming back from exile. It wasn't that they were, hey, you know, Isaiah's not saying, hey, listen, wait until the darkness passes away and then start shining. No, it was in the current darkness, you start shining and people will be drawn to the light. Just like Dr. and Mrs. Evans looked across the street, they were drawn to the light. In the same way, when we rise and we shine because our light has come, people will be drawn to the light. And that doesn't mean it's easy. Entering the darkness and shining can be both exhilarating and dangerous. Let me give you a picture of that. Some of you know that I like World War II history. It's just a thing. I like my uh, grandfather on my mom's side uh, was in the Navy Pacific Theater at the end of World War II. So I just have this natural affinity for World War II history. I probably have more books by or about Winston Churchill than any other non-biblical person other than C.S. Lewis. It, you know, I got more books about him or by him than just about anybody else because I like World War II history. A few years ago, I came across this story about a man who snuck into Auschwitz. And, and you say, 
he's, you mean he snuck out of it. No, he snuck into Auschwitz. In September of 1940, a man by the name of Witold Pilecki, who was a Polish army captain, did the unthinkable. He snuck in to Auschwitz. Auschwitz was one of the death camps, so the Nazi concentration camps and death camps. Pilecki knew that something was going on there. He knew it was terribly wrong, but nobody really had information of what was happening. And he was a committed Christian, and he was a Polish patriot, and he couldn't sit by and watch. And so he had to get information of the horrors of Auschwitz. So he, 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 he proposed a plan to his superiors, and they approved a ridiculous, crazy, daring plan. Here's what they did. They provided him a false identity card with a Jewish name. And then Pilecki allowed the Germans to arrest him in a routine Warsaw street roundup. And Pilecki was taken to Auschwitz, and he was assigned, they would strip you of your name, and they would just give you a number, and he was assigned the number 4859. And Pilecki was a husband. He was a father of two. And he said later, and I quote, I bade farewell to everything I had known on this earth. And he became like any other prisoner. He was despised. He was beaten. He was threatened with death. And from inside the camp, he wrote, the game I was now playing at Auschwitz was dangerous. I think so. In fact, I had gone far beyond what people in the real world would consider dangerous. Beginning in 1941, prisoner number 4859 started working on his mission. He, he organized the inmates into a resistance units. He would boast morale. He documented war crimes. He used couriers to uh, smuggle detailed reports of the atrocities that were going out to the Western allies and the Western world. By 1942, he had organized and, uh, and built a secret radio station using scrap parts. If I ever get thrown into a concentration camp... I'm pretty sure I don't know how to build a radio station. So I'll try to text you or something. But this is incredible to me. He builds it out of scrap parts to get the Western Allies key intelligence and information about Auschwitz. And so in the spring of 1943, he got put on the bakery detail. On that detail, he overcame one of the guards and escaped. And he wrote, he finished his report outside of Auschwitz, estimating that two million souls had been killed there. And when that information first got back to London, uh, they thought it was exaggerated. There's no way that could be true. And now, of course, we know it was accurate. See, Vitold Pilecki had a mission. And he risked everything for that mission. He left the comfort of his freedom. He left his family. He left his home. He became a Jew to carry what they carried to fight for freedom, to save them from the hell of the Holocaust. You know what that reminds me of? Maybe I should say, you know who that reminds me of? Reminds me of what Jesus did for us. Pilecki was acting like Jesus. Jesus left the comforts of heaven. He left the beauty of heaven, a place of pure light and no disease and no sin, no suffering, no pain. And he, get this now, Jesus left the constant worship of angels and traded that for the pain of earth to become one of us, to take on our sin, to win our freedom, and to save us from hell. And you know what Paul says in Philippians 2, verse 5? I read it at the beginning of the service, for those of you who were here. Uh, I, uh, <laughs> sorry, that, I, that was a, that was, I shouldn't, that's not right. I'm sorry, that, that was a jab. It was a, sorry. Almost lost the Holy Spirit, but he's back. You know what Paul says? He says this, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who went behind enemy lines 
who being in very nature God. There he was in heaven with all the rights and authorities and powers of God. He did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And Paul says, have this attitude in you, which was also in Christ, meaning, here's what Jesus is saying to us this morning, don't just worship me, yes, worship me, okay, Jesus is saying, we are to worship me, yes, worship, but don't just worship, join me, join me, be like me, take my mission, listen, to be the church is to be sent ones, to be the church is to be dropped behind enemy lines for kingdom purposes, to be light in a dark world. The gospel isn't a self-help story where Jesus is a good teacher with some, you know, a good old chap with some good ideas about how to make your life better now. That No, the gospel story is a rescue mission where Jesus is our Savior who saves us from sin and death and hell and the grave. And to be the church means we're going to join him in his rescue mission. God has strategically placed you wherever you are to be on a mission, to be light in the darkness, to be a kingdom person wherever you are. I mean, think about it this way. Paul said, and when he was in Athens and he was on the Areopagus and he was speaking to a bunch of philosophers, he said this, Acts 17, verse 26, God determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. Now, don't read that too quickly. God determined this time and this place for you to live. You aren't here by accident. This isn't merely the result of natural selection and random chaos theory, okay? You have been strategically placed at this time in this place for the kingdom of God to be light and darkness. Remember that story in the Old Testament? It's a story about a young lady named Esther. She was a Jewish lady, and she was chosen to be a queen in the Persian Empire, and, 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 and her cousin, whose name was Mordecai, who basically was a lot older, kind of acted more like an uncle or actually a dad because her parents were dead, raised her, trained her, and she gets in, and, and, and Mordecai hears about a plot to kill the Jews from Haman, and so he sends word to Esther, and she sends word back, well, I don't really know what I can do, you know, I mean, I'm here, but, you know, the queen just can't walk up to the king, she's got to be invited, and if you go and he doesn't raise the scepter, you can be killed, so I don't really know what I can do, and here's what Mordecai sent back, Esther 4, verse 13, do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews, for if you keep silent at this time, Relief and deliverance will rise, there's the word rise again, for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish, and look at this last sentence, and who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. In other words, this is why you're here. You've come into the kingdom for this way. You were made for this. That was her divine moment, but guess what? This is our Esther moment right now. We have been brought to this moment. Why? To join in the mission. To be light in the darkness, not to jump in with the darkness and be dark. No, to be light. On your job or at your school or in your neighborhood or when you're online. Think of this. Don't, don't, don't. Some people, I think they think there can be a different person when you're online. No, you're supposed, if you're a disciple of Jesus, you're always supposed to be a disciple of Jesus. And so just imagine being online, being another location where people are, and you're going to be light there too. Be light wherever you are. 
And you know what that means? We ought to have the same sense of destiny, the same sense of being chosen by God, and the same courage that Esther have. And you know why? Because we serve the same God. And we have the same mission. Now, on a practical level, there's my two points, so now I'm going to my two practical applications, okay? So, praise and worship team, be getting ready. I mean, not, you know, don't come up yet. You're like getting, you're getting, you're like, it's, get your pregame on. You're, you're, okay. On a practical level, that means two things, all right? Or it, and there's a lot, this is not comprehensive. There's a lot of things it could mean, but I just want to apply it in two ways to us as New Life Church. Number one, resist the temptation to coast, resist because we're to rise to fulfill our calling because we're to rise to meet the challenge that we see in our world today resist the temptation to coast let me use this analogy I don't know if this has happened to you or not probably hasn't but during the whole pandemic I have I kind of lost my mojo to work out I just the the motivation I know you're going we we can we can tell Tim we we can see you Um, it just I don't know. It's I don't. I blame it on the mask. I don't want to lift weights with a mask on. I don't, I don't want to, you know. And they take out all the things at the gym. There's all there's less weights there, and and you know I just I don't want to do it. <laughs> at the same so okay so I'm not the only one right. At the same time, do you know what's happened? What. Marlene and I have been cooking a lot together over the last couple of years, and I've been learning more and more. She's like the Jedi master in the kitchen, and I'm the Padawan learner, and I'm learning more and more, and, and, and I, I've gotten pretty good on the grill, and, and, and now i got a smoker. Ooh, is right. I've been smoking salmon, brisket, beef tenderloin, ribs. So, yeah, well, here's what's happened. As my motivation to work out has gone down, my culinary skills have gone up. And now i got skills. Right? This is a bad combination. Because I'm working out less, and I'm eating more. And that leads to other things. Right? Here's the deal. You know what one of the main strategies of Satan is during this pandemic is to get us to quit focusing on the mission and lose our mojo and just try to coast. Let's watch more Netflix. Let's do this. Let's do that. And, and, and here's what I'm saying. Resist the temptation to use this time as a time to coast and use it instead as a time for spiritual growth. Because most growth happens in the context of struggle. I want you to think about that for a second. I don't have time to, to go from Genesis to Revelation to point out in each of these cases. But most growth happens in the context of struggle. To use my analogy of working out, here's the deal. You will never get big. Your muscles will not get stronger. They will not get bigger if you don't have resistance. Right? You're, you're benching. You're going to bench on something. You're gonna, you're, your shoulder's back. You're going to bench. You have to have weight pushing against you that is resisting you while you're pushing away for you to get stronger. Because most growth happens in the context of struggle. So here we are in the middle of a struggle. This is a good time to grow. Use all the spiritual resources you have to move forward in your mission. And we have all kinds of spiritual resources. We have the Spirit of God. Do you realize? I mean, 
The Bible says that when you confess Jesus is Lord, you believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved, and the Holy Spirit comes, and the Holy Spirit of God is there for you, and there's a fullness of the Spirit, and there's a baptism of the Spirit, and there's walking in the Spirit, and there's being led by the Spirit, and there's gifts of the Spirit, and there's fruit of the Spirit, and you have all that. The Holy Spirit of God is living in you if you know the Lord. So <laughs> you would think that would be enough, but there's more. He gave you not only his Spirit, but his Word. You got the word of God. So not only is the spirit of God living in you, but he's given you his word that, mean, that he has inspired and he has anointed through human beings, speaking to real life people who are trying to follow him, and you have it. So you got the spirit of God, you got the word of God, and you have the body of Christ. You've got each other. Man, we are loaded. We have incredible spiritual resources. We have everything we need to be light in this dark world. We have it. 2 Peter 1 verse 3 says, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. You know what? According to that verse, I don't have to go get what I need. I already have what I need. We've been given everything we need for life and godliness. I got the spirit of God. I got the word of God. I have the body of Christ. And I know what you're thinking. Uh, listen, I am not ready for this season. This darkness is out there. But listen, the conviction of heaven is you have everything you need for life and godliness, which means not just to do life, but to do it well, well, to do it in godly ways. So number one, resist the temptation to coast. While we're in this period, resist that temptation. And number two, and this is the last application, so pay very close attention, remember God's perspective. Resist the temptation to coast and remember God's perspective. Like you're up above the, the whole parade and you see the whole thing at one time to see that there is a beginning and there is an end and it's a good end. Remember God's perspective. I, one more illustration, then I'll be done. A number of years ago, I saw a film called Apollo 13. And it's based on a true life story of April 1970. The spacecraft Apollo 13 was crippled by an in-flight explosion. You probably remember this. It's where we get the phrase, that whole event was where we get the phrase, Houston, we have a problem. You know, you've heard probably people say that, Houston, we have a problem. That's where it comes from. And the astronauts had to rely on some archaic uh, navigational techniques to get home. And a very slight miscalculation would have sent them spiraling thousands of miles off course into outer space. And, and if the navigation got them back, they were still nervous that there were, the heat shield wouldn't remain, that the parachutes weren't functional. In addition to all of that, there was a tropical storm that was brewing in the landing zone. And in one particular scene in the film, there's a press agent for NASA, and he's asking one of the NASA officials for more information. And, and, and as the press agent is recounting all of the dangers, so the, the heat shield could go down, the parachutes might not come out, there's a tropical storm brewing, we're running out of energy, they don't have much power, we're ha our communications are down. He's going through the list and list. And finally, the NASA official says, I know what the problems are, Henry. It'll be the worst disaster NASA's ever seen. And then the NASA chief, who's standing just a few feet away, is played by Ed Harris. He straightens up his tie. And he hears this pessimistic sort of response. And he looks, and with a very firm resolve in his voice, he says, with all due respect, sir, I believe this will be our finest hour. Isn't that something? Two guys looking at the exact same situation, the exact same problem. One says, worst disaster ever. 
And the other says, this will be our finest hour. What's the difference? It's perspective. Now listen, you can buy into all of the gloom and the doom that says this is the worst disaster ever. You can, and you're free to do that. But it's really hard to be light in the darkness when you have that perspective. I mean, you can do that, and we'll still love you and pray for you and be there for you, okay? You can choose to do that. Or you can say, with all due respect, I believe this will be our finest hour. Disaster or finest hour, you choose. How are you going to look at it? It's a matter of perspective. Will you take God's perspective or the human perspective, the larger story of God or the smaller story of your life? And that is where we are in our nation today. As believers, we have a calling to be light in the darkness. Jesus said, let your light shine. Let your light shine. That's what we're being called. We have a call. We have a challenge. And if we do that, if we do this, we were made for this. And if we will do that, just like the light was on, flipped on at the Marriott Hotel because they had a power inside that let them do something inside that outside couldn't do while it was covered in darkness, in the same way, just like Dr. and Mrs. Evans were drawn across the street to the light, people will be drawn to our light. And that will make all the difference. Let's pray.